Hi everybody, welcome back to another Riri Talks. It's been a while since I've been here, but we're back with another podcast. And this is for another final project, as I did for my last, for the fall semester. This semester, I had the opportunity to take a course on Benjamin Franklin, The Art of Self-Government. And we read his autobiography, discussed many of his letters that were, you know, categorized into different themes because... He wrote a lot of letters, and we could categorize them into different themes, and shared a bunch of opinions about him and his life. And he was an abundant character, to say the least. He always wanted to improve himself, and he influenced the beginnings of American society in ways that we honestly probably don't realize today. In order for Franklin to do what he had to do, he had to develop his own skills and honestly understand himself before he could move on to using his magic to inspire colonials to do the same that he did while he was growing up. In that, he learned how to argue, build arguments, network, talk to people, write, and share ideas so that others could see and follow suit. His learning to do so allowed others to emulate his sociable and dutiful character and feel more comfortable to be able to share their opinions with others too. He opened up a new world of discourse in American society and either knowingly or unknowingly inspired others to express their voice into the public. Through his development of effective interpersonal communication skills, Benjamin Franklin inspired public discourse and paved the way for productive conversations and establishment in American society. Benjamin Franklin understood the importance of developing interpersonal skills in his adolescent years. Ever since he left home, he worked with his brother, went to the city, got acclimated to a different life. He noticed that being able to talk and converse with others was a key skill to have that helps with connecting with other people with similar or different opinions. This is where interpersonal communication comes in, where it includes being able to relay ideas, opinions, information, thoughts, feelings, verbally or non-verbally, which includes speaking to someone, writing to someone, or how your behaviors may come across to someone. This is a skill that is built through experience and through interactions and through a lot of self-reflection to really realize and understand how much, you know, one needs to improve on their skills and perhaps learn how to interact with others. Some of these skills include practicing active listening. Fully concentrating on someone's words is honestly a power at this point in society considering we are a creature of shorter attention spans than usual, so it's always easy to be distracted. But being able to listen to someone is an important aspect of effective communication. And I genuinely feel that Benjamin Franklin might have had, and honestly, colonials at the time, might have had an easier time with this because they didn't really have things to be distracted by. But listening to someone is a critical aspect of communication. Another key aspect includes using clear and concise language. Speaking succinctly is also something to keep in mind. Um, That's kind of what clear and concise language means. I know Franklin would agree with this because of his seventh virtue, sincerity, as he shares that one should Use no hurtful deceit. Think innocently and justly. And if you speak, speak accordingly. This was from his autobiography. 
The last part, speak accordingly, is essential to this, mostly because he talks about not only adding additional fluff or opinions that might ruin the conversation, where someone might misinterpret what you say, or you might say the wrong thing and potentially upset someone. Another thing which is interesting, actually, showing empathy. I feel like showing empathy is more of a new concept in society where that matters more in conversations and interpersonal relationships because we care about people's thoughts and opinions and emotions more than other things. So I do wonder if Franklin practiced empathy and understood people's feelings and emotions, but I do recognize that these are more like romantic ideas in the romantic era of time, which came after the Enlightenment era. So that might be something that he might have unknowingly focused on because he was such a charismatic and delightful person to be around. The third and final aspect is building rapport. This is a true Franklin skill. Building rapport is how he became a diplomat and why so many people trust and want to be like Franklin. His cordial personality allowed him to create trust with people in the colonies and people in France. And he loved the people in France. Public discourse, which is the other part of my thesis, means any public method or forum through which people can voice their opinions and concerns regarding decisions and decision-making process. That's a bit of a mouthful, but I think public discourse relates to politics in today's society, and that could change the meaning of the concept itself. Since politics has a somewhat negative connotation to it today, the politics in the 1700s was not as thought out or fleshed out or important to policy making as it is today. So what would public discourse mean in the 1700s and with Benjamin Franklin? Interpersonal communication and public discourse go hand in hand in that people need to make connections with each other in order to have effective conversations in society. So. Benjamin Franklin used his skills to voice his opinions in society and encouraged other people to do so. He kind of birthed this term in a huge way. It is critical because it is the basis of a democratic society, public discourse. And I think Franklin recognized that. And when he started to use his skills and started to put people at the center and made them feel important, that's when people felt like that they had a sense of influence, a sense of community in the early beginnings of America. Benjamin Franklin's life. Ben's life is nothing short of exciting and fulfilling. Starting out, he had to figure out a lot of things for himself, even though it always seemed like he had his life together from the beginning. I could talk about his entire life, but instead, I'll fast forward to when he started to notice his communication skills with others as he started to grow up as a teenage boy. I always appreciate how confident and sure of himself he is, especially as a teenager and as a young man, because he would reflect and say that he took a delight in it, practiced it continually, and grew very artful and expert in drawing people even of superior knowledge into concession the consequences of which they did not foresee. He mostly cared about winning an argument, which was not something that would be friendly, even in today's age. it's It would be like comparing it 
to you're playing playing a chess game with a grandmaster and you are just a beginner like that would just be unfair and also a little rude it's not endearing at all and franklin probably realized that and trying to be better than his quote-unquote opponents was not effective in making friends if that's what he wanted to do or just really being friendly with anyone at all he changed his style of arguing to something more constructive and organic to human nature noticing his own behaviors he got rid of his conceited way of interacting with others it became more tame considerate he changed his habit when he realized that only the habit of expressing myself in terms of modern diffidence, never using when I advance anything that may possibly be disputed, the words certainly, undoubtedly, or any other that give the air of positiveness to an opinion, but rather say, I conceive or I apprehend a thing that be so or so. Realizing his ways, he transformed his unfavorable habits into something more desirable and better for making connections. He made himself seem like he did not disagree with people and wanted, perhaps, validation that he is an agreeable person. Or maybe he was just lonely and finally wanted some friends when he realized that acting like a genius or a smart bleep is a lot less rewarding than being nice, affable, and perhaps genuine. He continues this streak and develops his communication skills and newfound social skills that he will carry with him for a long time. And this is also, once again, at a young age. So realizing these things about himself puts him on the market to continue to build his streak and develop his communication and now newfound social skills that he'll carry with him for a long time. But the question is, did Franklin's personal, perhaps, insecurity, or did Franklin's newfound skills turn into something that might make him seem ingenuine or fake? Applying it to Ben's life. I feel like Benjamin Franklin finally realized that for all the things he wanted to accomplish and change about society, that he needed to be the center and the one to propel these changes. So that means he had to change his attitude and he had to change how he interacted with others. Because from creating the paper currency, currency to the post office, to the fire company, to schools, to so many more institutions, Franklin introduced so much to revolutionize early America overall. If he was still a hard person to get along with, he probably would not have been able to create all these establishments. He took his new competence, and in doing so, his pattern of personal associations was an ever-widening one, a series of overlapping circles encompassing Boston and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and America, Britain, and France. Franklin finally understood the importance of networking with others and started to produce his ideal American society. He took advantage of his own strengths and the trusting nature of others to influence them to follow his precedents, from his virtues 
to the artful ways that he could conduct business. He knew how to bring ideas into tangible acts in society. The Junto Club was one social activity where Franklin utilized 12 individuals to delve into the moral, social, and political conversations of colonial society. And he also eventually performed greater social acts in the greater Philadelphia area. Establishing this group was probably a way for him to get a glimpse of what society could be like if people came together to solve issues that impacted everyone. Naturally, Franklin was a utilitarian leader that wanted to use his influence for the betterment of society. Asking a series of questions, Franklin wanted to search deep into the minds of his 12 members and get the most out of the group. One question that he asked was, Is there any difficulty in matters of opinion of justice and injustice which you would gladly have discussed at this time? From the beginning, Benjamin Franklin encouraged people to think beyond their own lives and instead focus on society and other people, his, your neighbors, your community members, your friends, your family. This overall stimulates a sense of community within each other and a sense of greater purpose. He never really shied away from talking about uncomfortable topics and wanted to use that to propel everyone's overall well-being. Benjamin Franklin's Rhetorical Style Franklin's modes of relaying messages ranged from speaking to writing, and I'm sure if he was alive today, he would be a podcaster too. Already established that he knew how to speak to others and interact with others well, he was a stellar user, nonverbal communication methods as well. When he did go to France, he, in essence, became a French, adopting dress, demeanor, hairstyle, and their social ways. Which is probably why everyone in France loved him, and not so John Adams. Anyway, like the true diplomat that he was, he immersed himself into the culture, which is why everyone in France loved him. Adapting, feeling comfortable, and connecting with others was something that he became good at. Now, as a writer, that also took a lot of practice to master. He was never a natural which is something comforting to us, considering we think of him as, you know, an ideal or perfect human. But he grew as a communicator when he developed the skill of writing and persuading others through his many publications, such as Poor Richard's Almanac and his Silence Do Good Letters. He would sprinkle in his aphorisms and moral statements within his almanacs and the Silence Do Good Letters that people would read, digest, and probably spit back out to their neighbors as they try to figure out what poor Richard Saunders is trying to say. Author Douglas Anderson writes that the aphorisms, too, play a critical role in the creation of a cumulative human narrative. Under that notion, Franklin introduced the ideas of moral virtues into the lives of the colonists. He was always interested in the conversation of ethics, morals, what have you, and would share that share his natural understanding of human nature with the public. For example, the aphorism Better done is better than well said talks about personal action and that your words don't matter until your actions can back that up. This makes sense for Ben Franklin since he was a doer. This is probably a new concept in the colonies and that I feel like Ben Franklin motivated people to do more with their words and thoughts and opinions and intelligence in society, which makes sense because this is the Enlightenment era. 
It's like Benjamin Franklin was a virus that secretly infected people, but in the best way possible, in that he wanted to improve America and the colonies in that time. As mentioned before, he wasn't always the greatest writer. He used his own publications to build upon those skills, and as they became more popular, he gained a mastery in writing to people, as he gauged a better sense of purpose and understood his audience members. And then eventually, he was done printing. He probably gained all the skills that he needed to and moved on into bigger opportunities. He utilizes letters both as a way to influence his audience, but also to work on his own persuasion skills as he built his own reputation and characters as a scientist, scholar, inventor, diplomat, publisher, writer, speaker, and so much more. His persona changed along with his tone and style as he had to move his personality into something that would fit that particular situation or letter. The two letters that come into my mind are the NN first replied to Vindex Patre and most of his letters from Silence Do Good. Silence Do Good, number four, discusses Franklin's views on education. This is a satirical piece and probably his more harsher juvenilian piece that he has written where he shares how pretentious hard for education is and how it makes students and people that go there think that they are better than everyone else. Or blockheads, as he liked to say. He goes on through metaphors, playing a persona, to getting his point across on the value of education through his eyes. Understanding that higher education in the colonial pro period ties into wealth, science do good, Franklin, harshly states his opinion against parents that send their maybe not so smart children to Harvard. Although Franklin is young, when he writes Silence Do Good, this is the beginning of his work into creating characters that he can use to influence others. People did generally enjoy Silence Do Good and that probably gave Benjamin Franklin a huge ego boost as a young writer. He develops his voice as an early writer as he figures out his satirical style and writing style. The other letter that I mentioned, the NN first reply to Vindex Patre, was a letter that was written to salvage the relationship between Britain and the United States. This piece was a subtle piece of how Franklin persuaded others based on his setting, audience, and purpose. He understood who he was writing to, Britain and he speaks like he is both English and American, but is mostly speaking as a citizen of Britain. The Americans, I am sure, for I know them, have not the least desire of independence. They submit in, in general to all the laws we make for them. They desire only a continuance of what they think a right, the privilege of manifesting their loyalty by granting their own money, when the occasion of their prince shall call for it. Playing into both sides, he appeals to Britain by speaking for Americans, but also acts like a citizen of Britain when he is from America. He has such a subtle, yet playful, yet deliberate way of persuading others, especially if he knows he can do it. It's impressive to say the least. Franklin's Criticisms I appreciate and understand Franklin's greatness as much as the next person, but we cannot 
ignore his inconsistencies and criticism that go along with his life. He never hid away from the public in any sense. He was a public man. He always continued to better himself. And honestly, he found a way to talk around a lot of erratas or past mistakes with his enlightenment thinking and conversations about his humbling morality. This next discussion will probably be my favorite part in how he used his stunning personality and personas to get, to maybe get what he wanted the way he wanted to. Of course, Franklin is full of personas and masks that he put on in order to talk to different people or understand different pers- different point of views. And although Levin, an author, did not describe the autobiography as fiction, he reminded readl- readers that Franklin was a writer with a habit of creating characters. This sounds innocent enough because it shows how adaptable, adaptable and gregarious he is about making friends or companions or just being a diplomat overall, but as mentioned many times before, he probably wanted to seem like he was reliable or a trusting inventor, diplomat, author, publisher, what have you. Or we can move on from this whole Ben Franklin is a saint conversation and switch it up to that maybe he's trying to be sneaky and pretend he's the people's friends but does not really care for them as much as we might think we we might think he does there's a term in which i learned very recently called sophistry which means the use of fallacious arguments especially in the attention of deceiving to break this down fallacious arguments means misinformed or misguided arguments. And the second part, especially with the intention of deceiving, using others or convincing others for, you know, your own personal gain. To call Franklin a sophist is a really bold claim, considering his reputation already. But I feel like since a lot of historians and scholars already feel this way about him, it wouldn't be too absurd to add it onto it. Naturally, some historians have viewed Franklin's political ambiguity during this period as a reflective of his naivete. Others have seen it as revealing political opportunism. The term political opportunism is probably a phrase we'd hear in today's time to describe celebrities or politicians or other public public figures. So to be able to call Franklin one and mean it is very interesting. But is Ben Franklin really a sophist, or is he just treading the line of it? His detachment to so many roles, while also playing them very well, is impressive to say the least, because he could just flow through many characters that he creates. It's also a little bit concerning. We will never really know his deep thoughts or feelings on this matter, because the Enlightenment doesn't really focus on human emotion in the way that we think about it today. But it is interesting to apply maybe today's theories and concepts into Ben Franklin. So, he was very willing to create many hoaxes and personas to perhaps get what he wants. We already saw a couple from before where he did use Silence Do Good which we read, um, which we talked about before. He created a character and talked about something that he didn't like seeing, and he made it, and he put his own opinions forward into the public, and people agreed with him. 
And then we see him writing a letter to... That was him being a diplomat. He was writing a letter to a group that he understands and wants to have a solid relationship with. There is another speech. The speech of Polly Baker, which is a satire. Um, and his multiple letters about slavery. Those are both examples of hoaxes and a change in persona that he created to get his point across. The speech of Polly Baker although not under the name of Franklin, was also full of rhetoric that Franklin built upon in order to stir up conversations in the colonies. He includes ethos, logos, and pathos in his argument that includes things like bringing in God's law, talking about Polly Baker's credibility as a woman, guilt-tripping in the way that she has multiple children and left by the father, She's already gone through multiple punishments already and talking about just and unjust laws between God and the government. So digging more deeper into this piece, there is a specific point that I'd like to bring up that would explain why Franklin might write this piece. This particular conversation centers around religion and just and unjust laws because for all we know, Ben Franklin refrained from sharing his religious beliefs with others because he maybe honestly had to figure it out on his own and also just generally did not want to share with the public. The caveat to that is he shared his more controversial opinions and viewpoints through hoaxes and personas, which is smart because he doesn't have to deal with many judgment or, or any judgment or backlash from the community members straight on. In the instant of Polly Baker, he shares many times how God, how the scripture should be the one judging her, and that she is already judged by society and by the law. That notion should already be enough, and she should not face any additional repercussions from the law again. Moving be- moving between the law and its injustice, unjustness, to the role of church and society is exactly what Franklin wanted to do. He wanted to talk about that without straight up talking about it. His other discussions about religion through his letters move back and forth, which treads on a very thin line of what some might call hypocrisy, especially when he states that people need religion in order to be virtuous, but his blueprint for moral perfection does not include to be religious as well. Franklin just might not have known what he was talking about when he was talking about religion, yet nonetheless, he did put his opinions out there despite that. This is probably his most uncomfortable persona to become, someone that is religious when he may not be. He seemed like a Christian, or some believe that he had some Christian authority to be able to write these letters and hoaxes to the public that people followed and read. Franklin's opinions and discussion on religion is always so disputable because he never gave the public a solid answer either. He might have just been as confused, as nervous as someone might feel as they share their views today. Does it make Ben Franklin a sophist if he talks about religion in the speech of Ms. Polly Baker? Not necessarily. It is interesting to see what he was willing to put his name on as he'd signed some pamphlets or he signed letters, but he wouldn't sign controversial pieces like this during the time. Slavery is another topic of discussion that is incredibly controversial and contentious. A public letter that was written when he was in his 50s 
was a conversation on slavery. This was in the seven. This was around 77, 1770, which included how Ben Franklin's character believed that slavery was justified because it was in quote unquote their character. He downplayed the severity of slavery in the colonies and lied that there are. In truth, there is not. Take North America, though, perhaps one family in a hundred that has a slave in it. I think when Franklin was naturally set on his beliefs, that that is when he was a sophist. It was when he was most weary about his beliefs and ideas, where he would shy away and not publicly announce something or write something. Even more so, he was a persona. He used a persona to put himself out there, probably because he was afraid. Nonetheless, his lack of understanding the morality of slavery was not something that would be seen as smart or noble, but instead distasteful, especially in today's time. He often bent the truth in order to make his point or when he was being ignorant, but maybe he didn't realize that until after the fact. And I realized that that statement makes me sound like a Ben Franklin sympathizer, but I just don't know what he's thinking. <laughs> Franklin also never saw or chose not to see the importance of slavery until later in his career, which can definitely be seen as a privilege on his part. He did not he did not have to worry or think about the morality of slavery until it actually started to affect his diplomatic life. In other words, when he traveled to France. That history is a little irrelevant, but you should know that Franklin cares about his character and his ties with France deeply. So when he sees how they might react to the idea of slavery, that would affect him as well. One of his final pieces, an address to the public from the Pennsylvania Society for Promoting the Abolition of Slavery, which was written in 1789, included a huge change in the attitude of slavery that shares that he wants to integrate African Americans into society. This address talks about what the PA Society would do to help male ex-slaves and slaves to reintegrate and prosper in the colonies. This is all wonderful and great news on Franklin's part, considering that he changed his mind about slavery, but only when it is later on in his life, which is mildly convenient on his part, considering he had backup from the Quakers, which are also the people that helped him change his mind about slavery, and that he knew that he was getting old and probably wouldn't face as many repercussions as if he was younger. Sure, he realized his faults in the end, but is this what might- Sure, he realized his change in the end, but is this what one might call situational ethics? Where one might say that Franklin sometimes follows moral laws based on the context of the setting or time period? and doesn't really understand if something is right or wrong until maybe someone else tells him. That's a bit of a stretch because Franklin is very much his own person and a trailblazer for so many things, but in this situation it could apply. It would not have been convenient for Franklin to care about slavery when he was younger, probably because it wouldn't have benefited his reputation. Therefore, he might have ignored it until he was older and that was the only thing that he had to check off of his list of improving things in colonial society. 
conclusion. I think it's important to remember that despite the part where I think Franklin can be a liar, maybe a sophist, that he is pretty good at making people believe him. I think this is the purpose of this conversation that he could convince people. He knew what people wanted to hear or people needed to hear. He knew how to convince people. He knew how to tug on the heartstrings with Polly Baker. He knew how to bring in logos with a lot of the letters, especially his diplomatic letter letters. He knew he needed credibility. He knew he needed people to listen to him. And in order to do so, he had to listen to other people. He gave others an outlet to speak and to express themselves which in turn makes him trust Ben Franklin and makes him more confident to be able to pave the way for important conversations in society such as religion, women's rights, separation of church and state, slavery, and so much more. The way that he did it might have been problematic at worst, but he was a man of many characters that he played very well. And Although Benjamin Franklin did a wonderful job of being an effective persuader, politician, diplomat, I already listed all the wonderful things that he is, I don't think he would do very well in today's society in that many people online scrutinize each other and pick apart each other's words and verbiage in that Ben Franklin would be probably easily picked out um, as well. Benjamin Franklin left a legacy in today's society that we can just look back and see how times were so different to today. It's mind-boggling to see the differences and I'm very thankful that I had this opportunity this semester to learn more about this wonderful character in our American history. Thank you.